Now we're in a series on 1 Timothy because of the church. We in this church have been planted. It's one thing to be planted, it's another thing to be established. And I love that word established because it means to be brought to a firm and stable basis. So that's what we're aiming for in our church. Not just to be here, but to be here in strength on a firm and stable basis. And so that's what we're aiming for. And then, in, down the road, once we've been brought to that firm and stable basis, we can become a reproducing church where elders and pastors and churches are planted because of us. So we're now in, if I could call them phases, but we're in moving towards phase two, where we're working on becoming an established church. So we've gone through two passages in 1 Timothy, and now we're going to look at a digression in 1 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul gives an autobiographical digression of his life from the vantage point of where he is at the time when he's writing. So I'd like to read verses 12 through 17 of 1 Timothy. And to think, with the, think along with the Apostle Paul how God's grace and mercy has been active in your life. Because if a church is going to be strong, the people in it must be a Godward people who acknowledge the Lord's good hand in every aspect of their life. That anything good that they have comes from the Lord and everything that they need can be given by the Lord. So a Godward people, it's not, the word Godward is on my mind, directed towards God, whatever appreciation, whatever praise, whatever effort, whatever acknowledgement, it is Godward, directed towards God. Directed towards God. And I think Paul was one of the most Godward men of all time. And that's why he was a chosen vessel. So in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in eternal life, believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing from the vantage point of a life that's been transformed. Um, and he's reflecting on the overabundance of God's grace and mercy in his life. As we sang this last song, Paul's sins were many. 
and various. And he was an opponent and an enemy of God. But it is God's mercy that was greater. That overwhelmed and overcame the sin in Paul's life. So much so that he was not just forgiven as an apostate, but transformed into an apostle. So God's grace and mercy was much stronger than the darkness in the Apostle Paul. As I look at this passage, I, again, I see a man who's Godward. And I, I see sometimes young Christians being too self-referential in in their Christendom, they uh, it's about it's about what what can be what God is. <laughs> Here, here's good. Here's a good example. I I asked. Um, I hope I hope they don't get mad at this. But I asked I asked my cousin. No, my, my cousin, uh, my my son's nephew. nephew, my nephew, thank you, my nephew, little girl, a sweet little girl, five years old, I said, why do you love, oh, why do you love grandpa, it was my dad's birthday the other week, so why do you love grandpa, and she said, because he gives me what I want, <laughs> I thought, I said, that typifies the contemporary worship song. <laughs> I love God because he gives me what I want. But you see what I'm saying? There, there's one thing to be, to be appreciative of God, but there's another thing to want God for God and to want his glory and want to see him high and lifted up and to acknowledge any good in your life, any good in your life comes from God. That's what I mean by Godward. It is an acknowledgement of God's good hand in your life. So that anything good, anything worthy of praise, anything honorable comes from the good hands of the Lord. And I think I believe, I believe that's what we see with the Apostle Paul in this passage. So let's just walk through and I want to uh, explore the Godwardness of the Apostle Paul in this passage. In a few movements. First of all, notice that Paul characterizes himself as a recipient of God's strength in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Now, Paul is referring to himself, uh, referring to his appointment as a missionary, an apostle to the Gentiles. What about judge me faithful? The point here is that Paul is an apostle by the appointment of God. So when Paul says, I thank him who has judged me faithful, he's not, he's not saying that God considered him faithful while he was slaughtering his people. He's saying that God actualized potential in him. He brought it into reality. One commentator, Bill Mount, says, 
The sense the Apostle Paul is saying is that God knew that he would be trustworthy in the future and therefore appointed him to service in the present. Paul's faithfulness was a potential yet realized. So that's what the Apostle Paul means by judged faithful. God took Paul's zeal, which was against Christians, to slaughter them and to kill them, and he made that zeal bow at the feet of Jesus. And this is why, and I've said this before, this is why great sinners make great saints very often. Um, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Right? And so, a great sinner, if that life is transformed, they can make a great saint. Because God will redeem them, reconstitute them, and repurpose them for his glory. And take the, the extremeness of their sin and debauchery and, and make it repent in a Godward direction. So the Apostle Paul has been repurposed for God's glory. So Paul speaks as someone who's been appointed as an apostle, but he also speaks as a recipient of strength. He says, I thank God who has given me strength. There's one word here in the Greek. It's endunomao. It means to receive strength. It means to cause to become able. I think that's kind of the sense here. God has caused me to become able. He has enabled me, empowered me, and strengthened me. And we see this in... Um, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So the reason is that Paul is what he is, is only because of the sheer grace of God. So this is what I mean by the Godwardness of the apostle Paul. Anything good in him is by his acknowledgement coming from the Lord himself. And anything bad in him is in himself. So this is the Godwardness of the Apostle Paul that I think is an exemplary way to, to think as a Christian. So he's speaking as someone who, someone who has received an appointment and strength to carry it out. And this is a pattern because I think John said this in Bible study. Uh, the other day. What God requires from you, he'll provide to you in Jesus Christ. So that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that God gives you what he requires from you. So we talk about strength. You need strength for the Christian life. You need strength for the Christian life. And that's precisely what the Lord gives you in Christ. And in Colossians 1:29, Paul says that he struggles with all his energy that God powerfully works within me. Isn't that an interesting phrase that it's God's own energy in the apostle Paul, but it's Paul who's struggling with it. So there's grace and there's strength to be given from the Lord. And when he gives it to you, you struggle with it. And you strive with the energy and strength that he gives you. Now, none of us are apostles. 
There are no apostles today. There were 12 apostles, and they died. But you do have an assignment in life. God has placed you in a particular place in life. And I'm just thinking this for my own life as a pastor, but for your lives, especially as mothers and fathers, he's entrusted you for this short time with young children to steward them. So mothers, you need strength to homeschool and to care for the children and to raise them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. You need strength for that. And so I want to encourage you to consciously go through your day in a Godward frame of mind, relying on the strength of the Lord, asking for his help. Father is the same. In your providing and in your leading, you need strength to do it. I tell you, family devotions is one of the most important things that a father can do. Family devotions. You just sit down, read the Bible with your children, pray with them, answer questions. It is one of the most shaping disciplines a father can take up in his life. But my flesh, whenever it's time for family devotions, is exhausted and tired and not willing. Not willing. And this sounds so mundane compared to the apostle who is dying for the gospel. But this is honestly an important work. So it's in these kinds of situations where I ask for the Lord's strength and energy. And even though the whole family's tired, sometimes it's right after dinner, we're going to bed. The Lord gives me strength to do what I need to do in those situations. There's a great prayer that I picked up from John Piper. Um, under the acronym APTAT. And APTAT is to first acknowledge that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Then P, to pray. Pray for his strength to do the thing that God has assigned for you to do at this moment. Raise children, homeschool, lead family devotions, resist temptation, then T, trust. Trust the Lord's strength that he'll provide for you. A, act. Act upon it in faith and trust and faithfulness. And T, thank afterwards. So aptat. I thought that's a very good way to go through life. It is consciously moving through life in the Lord's strength. It's to acknowledge that it's God who gives you energy and then to consciously make the, make the intellectual decision to rely on the Lord's strength and then to do it, move forward in life. So it's a frame of mind that I'm talking about here that the Apostle Paul shows us. It's God's strength. I, I love the song we sing all praise to him sometimes. It's, um, no, no, it's not all praise to him. It's, um, each deed empowered by sovereign hands. There are Christians' daily prayer. That's what it's called. It says, um, 
Yes. Each deed empowered by sovereign hands, renew my spirit, help me stand, be glorified today. I love singing that. Each deed is empowered by God's sovereign hands. Renew my spirit, help me stand and be glorified today. When you wake up in the morning, acknowledge that it is only by God's strength that you're going to do what he's entrusted you to do. Rely on him. Ask that he renew your spirit and help you stand and that he be glorified in your life. Next we see that Paul's transformed life is due specifically and only to God's sheer mercy and grace in his life. Verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writes, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Two key words we see here is mercy and grace. Mercy is being spared of what you deserve. Grace is being given what you do not deserve. So one's positive, one's negative, right? We've received mercy because God has spared us from what we do, deserved, do deserve. And we have received grace in that God has given us what we do not deserve in Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul speaks as a recipient of mercy and grace. In verse 13, a, at the first part of 13, he talks about his former life as a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. You read about this in Acts. He says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. We read in Acts that he was breathing out threats against the disciples, that he oversaw the execution of Stephen, that he was going and taking Christians and placing them in, in uh, prisons and overseeing their execution. So Paul was violently persecuting the church of God. He is not too easy on himself. Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Now, I realize that maybe most of you have not murdered Christians in your life, but... I do think Paul is exemplary here because he's not too easy on his former life. He's not just broken. He's not just lost. He was an insolent opponent. I like the word wretch. Amazing grace is, amazing grace how sweet the sound it saved a wretch like me. Now that was written by a man, from what I understand, who was a slave trader and came around to receive the gospel and recognize his sin. And he refers, referred to himself in his former life as a wretch. Now he received mercy. He says, this is very interesting. This whole passage is more difficult than it looks. But in verse 13, he says, But I received mercy because I acted, I acted ignorantly. In unbelief. Paul, I believe, is not excusing his blasphemy, his opposing the gospel. I believe he's comparing himself to those people who openly 
oppose God with full knowledge. Maybe like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had to know, and we have, we have indications of the gospel that they knew that this was not a normal man, Jesus Christ. But it was because they wanted to maintain their position that they ignored any revelation from God. So it was pride and envy that led them to crucify Jesus. This compared to the Apostle Paul's kind of ignorance. He did not fully understand what he was rejecting, it seems. Interestingly enough, Jesus is prophesies about people like the Apostle Paul in John 16, 1 and 2. He says to his disciples, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. A few years later, a man like the Apostle Paul would come and did believe he was rendering service to God by killing Christians. So that is what I believe the Apostle Paul is referring to when he said he acted ignorantly in unbelief. He did not have a full, he did not fully know what he was rejecting. Yet in his sin and ignorance, God did reveal himself to the Apostle Paul, struck him down on the Damascus Road, and the Apostle Paul from that moment his life turned around, and he says, he says in Acts that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So, you see the transforming power of God's grace and mercy in the Apostle Paul's life. He went from a blasphemer and persecutor, and God turned that into faith in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So not, not blasphemy and persecution, but faith. Not hatred of God's people, but love that are in Jesus Christ. So there is, Paul is speaking as a man that's been transformed by the gospel. Forgiven and reconstituted to be an apostle. How has God's grace and mercy overflowed in your life? I, I am a recipient of God's mercy because if the Lord would have given me over to my sin and foolishness in my younger years, to the full consequences of those things, I would have been utterly undone as a man. But he sustained me, and he protected me, and he kept me from falling headlong into the consequences of my own sin and foolishness. How has God's grace and mercy overflowed in your life? Think about that in a Godward way. His mercy has overflowed in your life, but also His grace has overflowed in your life. Like the Apostle Paul, faith and love were produced in him. And for me, the Lord's given me a hunger and a zeal for him and a, an unction to do his will. That does not come from me. Whatever good you have in you is not human. It's from God. It's the divine power of God in you. So think 
That, that would be a great question to meditate on for the rest of the day. How has God's grace and mercy overflowed in your life? How can you speak as somebody who is a recipient of God's favor? Now the main message the Apostle Paul is driving at here is in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. The trustworthy saying is essentially the gospel. The good news that God has acted through Jesus Christ to save sinners. To save wretches. To save blasphemers and insolent opponents. That is why Christ came into the world. First of all, notice Christ, not just a good man, but he came into the world. Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the God-man who came into the world, took on flesh, dying for the sins of his people, and rising again. And he came to save sinners. Not the righteous. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's only those who know they need to be forgiven who will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you do not believe you need to be forgiven, then you will not be forgiven. So Jesus Christ is the, is the rope that God lets down to pull you up. He's the raft that God throws out when you're drowning. Now, if you don't grab onto those things, it's not because God is being hateful or bigoted. It's because you have rejected God's means of salvation. It's those who know their need that will respond to the gospel. And that's why Jesus typifies this in the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, in his prayer, approaches God saying, Thank God I'm not like this man. I fast twice a week and... I give tithes of all I have in the tax collector who was one of the worst kinds of sinners, according to Jews, beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So if you have acknowledged that you were a sinner, you defied God, and you cry out for his mercy, you're in a very good place. Because the door of the kingdom of God is the door of forgiveness. And you must go through that door. There is no other way. And you will travel around the city and the walls will be high and shut. There is no door of works. There is no door of legalism. There is door, the door of mercy and forgiveness. And that is how you enter the kingdom of God. There is no other way. It's an acknowledgement that you need what God provides. Once you enter the kingdom of God, you are transformed. And there are ways to live in the kingdom of God, consistent with God's character and according to his commands. But the only way in the kingdom is forgiveness. Moving on, the Apostle Paul says in verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, 
Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. An example of Christ's perfect patience. How is your life an example of God's attributes? I love that because God is merciful and patient, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I know my life is an example of all of those. And my life is also in a, it, it's an example of God's mercy, example of God's grace and reconstitution. I feel like I was personally, I know I'm giving a lot of autobiography, but this is just where I'm coming from in this passage. I feel like I was Genesis 1-1 or Genesis 1-2 in my young life, formless and void. And darkness was over the face of my life. There was just a, a purposelessness to my days, a, um, a wandering about. But when the Lord vivified me and woke me up, there was meaning. It was like my brain turned on and my spirit awakened. I can't explain it, but the switch was turned on in my life, completely vivified. And I'm not saying that I move forward all the time with walking, you know, two feet off the ground or anything, but I have seen formlessness and voidlessness in my life. And then the Lord came, did a work, and I've, I've seen a transformed life by God's grace and only because of his grace and mercy because of I was I am a recipient of divine power and you are too reflect on that how are you an example of God's attributes in your life from where has God rescued you where were you Now, when I talk about these kind of things, I always want to say, maybe you don't have an amazing testimony. I, I don't, when I give my testimony, people don't fall on the ground. It's very plain. It's very steady. My, I know I've probably told you this before, but my friend used to be on the streets of Newburgh, and he used to wait outside people's houses and, and club them over the back of the head and take their money. And he used to work for these drug lords but he was reconstituted when the life came into a totally different person completely transformed and now he's a pastor down south one of the most joyful jolly men I've ever known and encouraging and godly he has an amazing testimony so I was talking to him one day I said Joe you know I wish I had a testimony like you he said Eric, I wish I had a testimony like you, that the Lord saved you and kept you all the days of your life, and you never were in complete and utter evil like I was. So one writer, J.I. Packer, who I respect very, very much, puts it this way. He says, for me and for most Christians, your Christian journey will not be extraordinary, but steady. 
I think that's a good way to think about it. Maybe, maybe your testimony is not extraordinary, but it's steady. You see point A and point B, and there is an incline in your life. Steady and sure, tripping and falling here and there, but there is an incline. Now, the goal of all this in verse 17, and this is the goal of your salvation and my salvation, is the glory of God. He mentions eternal life and praise God for eternal life. But the, the goodness of eternal life, the value of eternal life, is that it increases praises to the glory of God. And so the Apostle Paul gives a doxology to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And as I just kind of summarize this, I want to just invite Todd to come up here. Um, this is this is why we're this is why we exist. You were created to worship the Lord, and I love these passages that speak about the glory of God and singing praises to His name and seeking to honor Him with your life. I think it was John Piper who said, God is not the means to achieve the goals you had before you were a Christian. He is the goal. The complete goal changes around. So like the Apostle Paul, our life is now has been taken from meaninglessness and purposelessness and has been directed completely upward so that our ultimate goal in all that we do is God-word. Our entire life repurposed for God's glory. So that's why we sing about God's mercy and grace and His glory. It is to give praises to God for being redeemed, reconstituted, and forgiven by God's grace. We must be, if we're going to be any use to the Lord, a Godward church in all we think or do. So the Apostle Paul has talked about strength from God. Mercy and grace from God. Being saved by Jesus Christ. Being an example of God's mercy and grace. And all of this is to the praises of God's glory. Amen? A Godward existence. May we live into it. And even in the midst of our sin, His mercy and His grace overflowed for us with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Todd, would you come up here and, and lead us in a song? I want to invite you to stand up as we sing that last song again. Praise the Lord
King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And amen.